1: like kobe in a fourth quarter this is the dane moore mba podcast brought to you by the genesis company coming out on monday morning it's march 20th and i'm joined today by wolves beat writer chris kind from the star tribune who was in his hotel room in new york before the wolves play the knicks here on monday night chris you were also in chicago on friday night we were both there and it was in the first quarter of that chicago game where I think the, the most recent story of the Wolves or certainly the story of the this last weekend uh, came to fruition. Anthony Edwards getting hurt after Ant got hurt. They had to play three quarters, two overtimes without him. Fly to Canada, play four quarters without him. Uh, again, obviously they, they lost in Chicago 131-139. Lost in Toronto 107-122. Amping out obviously changed the dynamic of this team in a major way, which we'll get into, but I think to talk about ant and this time, let's go back to Chicago with the injury, and then you know what we were kind of able to gather in the locker room after the fact, what we've the rest of the weekend been able to gather too. So, Chris, I will ask you an impossible and stupid question to start <laughs> so as to talk about ant what do you think we will see ant back, or what uh breadcrumbs do we kind of have here in, in what we saw with our eyes, what we've heard. Um, elsewhere, what what's going on with Ant?
2: Well, it's, it sounds like from from every indication, we'll probably see him back sooner than maybe everybody had maybe anticipated when they saw him go down on Friday night, because mm-hmm. it looked bad. It looked you know a little scary to see him in in that much pain and see just how much he was kind of yelling and and you know it's what it was one of those things where it's like oh this is bad like yeah. right away like everybody kind of sensed kind of sense it on the bench it's like he is in a lot of pain we've you know everybody kind of fears the worst in that moment um you fear some sort of fracture you're thinking surgery you're thinking long-term timetable but you know i think they're optimistic now that it's it, it's not as bad as it as it looked on I mean, Friday end.
1: but but chris we weren't thinking that i was sitting next to you. nobody
2: was thinking that yeah i I, w- I will say i will say though i i was thinking in the back of my mind i'm like Okay, this looks bad, but we've also seen Ant last season on a couple of occasions go down or hobble off the floor. I think even in the playoff series, mm-hmm. he did it um, for one of the games where he looks like he's in a lot of pain. He's he's making noise to that effect, and he's ho- hurrying off the floor, hobbling off the floor, and then by the third quarter, second quarter, he was back in the game.
1: Right?
2: Like so, we have kind of seen this a little bit before with him where it's like okay this looks like a really bad injury but it turns out to not be as bad so i was in the back of my mind i was like i i hope for his sake that this is one of those instances obviously it was an instance where he was able to return to a game right away but it at least seems like they've avoided serious injury season ending Mm -hmm. uh injury um long-term damage so i think in terms of how it looked Friday night, I think the best case scenario has kind of come come into play here, where it's like, okay, it's a an ankle injury that is a day to day kind of maintenance kind of thing. So, you know, I think I think it came out about as well as you could have expected once he hit the floor Friday night.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, I think with Ant being how young he is in his career and how few times he's been hurt, period, like in the NBA or in, or in college or even high school, like. I just think a an injury is rolling his ankle. Like I don't think Ant has rolled his ankle that many times in his career. And I think anybody who has rolled their ankle knows that feeling of like the first 60 seconds of even if it's just like a sprained ankle, it's excruciating. And and I think like you know, you or I maybe having done that a couple of times, like the third time you roll your ankle and you're like, okay. Like, I just got to get through this 60 seconds. It's going to be okay. I'm actually going to be able to, like, (laughs) walk to the water fountain over here. I know I just got to wait. Like, I think for Ant, I don't think he, my guess would be he hasn't felt anything like he did in that moment there, which could have very well meant it was something more serious. But it does seem like, uh, with what we've been able to gather, this is probably a lower-grade ankle injury and that, you know, we should be anticipating seeing him back within you know before the season is is before the regular season is over. I think New York probably seems tonight seems uh, like an audacious return date but um, I don't think this is going to be a super extended period of time that uh, that ant is out. I thought it was interesting in your story how you kind of detailed, that this was happened to be the first time that he like wrapped his ankle. Can you go into that to whatever maybe, degree yeah, maybe, you can maybe, maybe
2: not the, maybe not the first time he wrapped his ankle. It's just something that um, somebody uh, who knows him told me like, Oh uh, yeah, he wrapped his ankles and he never does that. And it's like, so, they're, they're, thanks, they're so thankful that he did that. Like, so I think I know why crazy. he did it.
1: Cause when yeah. we were in, we were in the locker room pregame, me and you yeah. in Chicago and I think you were over talking to Sarah, and when Ant walks in, and he'd, for the game on Wednesday, he had worn these, like, white and black Harden 7 shoes. They're different shoes. Mm-hmm. That was the first time he wore them in the Wednesday game. And then on Friday, he comes in the locker room before the Chicago game, and he's, like, looking for the equipment manager. And he's like, hey, I gotta, I'm not wearing these. These are bugging my ankle. He's just, like, talking to one of his team, or not his ankle. He said his heel. Mm-hmm. And... And so I think like, not like it was hurting, but you know, when you put on like a new pair of shoes and like, sometimes it could just be like discomforting in the way. So my theory when I saw that was like, okay, maybe he just wrapped his foot because there's some sort of irritation in that. And then maybe, you know, maybe that led to some sort of miraculous, like, oh, this happened to be the game where he rolled his ankle. But he was, he was, I know in the locker room before the game, having some like discomfort with the, with the shoe, which I think then potentially led to having the ankle wrapped. And and from there, one way or the other, uh, if it was a miracle wrap, <laughs> whatever it might have been. Uh, <laughs> right, which did... is
2: what some people on social media are like, hey, it's amazing that this saved our season <laughs> yeah. or something like that. I'm like, let's pause the brakes on that. For right, a second. right. We, don't know, we don't know that for sure. But yeah. uh, but the bigger the
1: bigger thing is, yeah, I, I don't think this is uh shut it down for the season uh, type of issue. And it leaves the wolves in this this place right now where it's, you know, no ant, no cat for still a little bit, and they got to figure it out without him, right? And yep. and it, it's just a group that we saw through that Chicago game that can do a couple things offensively, but it can't do a lot of things offensively, just in terms of offensive creators, maybe lack of shooters that like having more non-shooters on the floor, non-real shooting threats. And they're really needing to navigate that. I think in both the Chicago and Toronto games, you see these five, six minute stretches of what is competent offense. And then you kind of see these sort of power outages like the end of the third quarter in the in the Toronto game, where uh, they're just kind of missing an option when the ball movement and flow isn't there on a given possession or in on a given few possessions. You don't have ant to kind of bail that out. You don't obviously you don't have Carl to bail that out or even somebody like Jalen noel right who can kind of yeah. you know put some stress on the defense just in an isolation type situation you don't want to be isolating every possession but sometimes when, when it breaks to... down yes yeah,
2: yeah.
1: And, and that right that's what kind of sticks out particularly at the end of that chicago game at the end of regulation or or even at toronto at certain times is They just don't have a lot of margin for error offensively right now because they're playing a group of guys that I would say are predominantly offensive connectors and defensive players, right? So it needs to kind of be winning with defense and competent offense. And that's, it's hard to bank. It's hard to bank on that offense when you're so used to being reliant on Anthony Edwards offensively that I think this team just. Can get it just looks right that they get a little bit stuck offensively right now.
2: Yeah, they they have to play almost a perfect game offensively. I thought I thought they and it's been moments where they've looked pretty good, right? Yeah, they've had they've had had some moments in that Chicago game, had some moments earlier in the Toronto game, but just sustaining it for 48 mm-hmm. and beyond in the Chicago game was is the issue, right? Mm-hmm. So they have like you said, they have a lot of players who are connectors but just kind of secondary offensive players right like Kyle Anderson's supposed to be their secondary kind of playmaker Mike Conley is not supposed to be maybe not taking as many shots as he has been taking Um, he's been hitting a lot of them but maybe not supposed to be taking as many as he has been Rudy is not supposed to be your main offensive threat in the post this season Uh, Jaden is still coming along and finding his game and I guess if there is one Kind of silver lining that we've seen. It's okay. Jaden has 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 recognized that this team needs him to have the ball in his hands more, attack more, and I think you've you've noticed that over the last two games. And I think that's been a a a growth point for him just in these last two games. That's been if there is a silver lining coming out of this ant injury, that could be it. Where it's like okay, Jaden maybe finds something in himself here because the wolves just need it from him right now.
1: Yeah, it seems like. Right. The predominant areas where they've made up for the ant usage is with Jaden, with Mike Conley more aggressively looking for his shot and then kind of continuing the pattern of what we've seen from Gobert post trade deadline, which is a little bit more offensive usage, like that kind of
2: linearly progressive. growth. increasing. Yeah.
1: So, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, if those three guys are going to be your main diet for offense. That's just not the roles they've been on on this team, really, you know, and it leads to, again, that Chicago game, a a few of those possessions where it's like, all right, who who's going to do it here? You know, and and you kind of like want it to be got to points where you're like, okay, we want it to be Jaden. We want it to be Kyle. But like the defense seemed to also be pretty in tune with the idea. Like there's certainly not possession to possession, at least consistently. Real multiple options that it feels like they can they can go to offensively. I, I'm with you. I've been I've actually been encouraged by what I've seen from kind of all three of those guys offensively of late, but like encouraged through the lens of what I was previously anticipating right, right. their role to be. Uh, at the end of the day, even seeing more from Jaden and seeing more from Mike, it still is underwhelming from an offensive standpoint in terms of just overall sort of firepower what uh what what with mike stood out to you because i think that when he's now initiating so much more it seems like he kind of as much as anyone needs to be the one who possession to possession presents himself as as more of a threat how does he do that
2: with him i I think he's i I haven't seen what he was doing in utah in terms of three-point numbers but he's taken about six threes a game now uh, as as a member of the the Wolves he's up he's basically aside from Ant you know Mm -hmm. the team leader in three-point attempts over this last stretch here so he's recognized that this team needs three-point shooting Mm -hmm. and they still need it since Ant has gone down so he's been looking for that yeah and trying to trying to find his moments to spot up and and take a bunch of threes um you know we, we obviously know the pick and roll game uh with him and Rudy um I think you tweeted something about like he's gonna have to have to look for that floater a little more. Yeah, um, I, th- I think you're right there. I think because I just think it's a shot he can get to fairly easily mm-hmm. with with how the the offense operates and the way the the screen and roll game with him and Rudy goes. It feels like if you want to just take a bunch of floaters per night, it's something that I think you could do. Yeah. Now, is it a is it a high value shot? I don't know. Um, I <laughs> but given the yet. options, right? I but given the options, right? Like if a possession breaks down and you end up with a Mike Conley floater, and that's kind of your bread and butter when there's five seconds left on the shot clock, then you know that I don't. I don't think that's the worst thing in the world given the circumstances right now. Um, trying to I I, I really dug into like how him and Jaden have been playing off each other. Have you Have you looked into that a little bit or, or sort of with, with how Jaden has gotten his points and has Conley been involved in kind of those I, actions. I just all I
1: looked up before this was I was like, all right, who's <laughs> who's taking the most shots like the last two games? And it is Jaden, mm-hmm. and then it's like Jaden, and then Mike, it's like Jaden's taken twenty nine, I believe, and Mike has taken twenty eight or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. They're they're like it's it's mostly been that. I feel like as I think about the sh- Chicago game, it seemed like like the initial idea right was that Mike. uh Rudy and Kyle, V action thing they run all the time right. with both those two guys at the elbow and the mic. And, and, you know, that that's like kind of been like their binky, right? That they've gone to all, all season. It's just tough to involve Jaden in that consistently when he's not in that V in that little triangle right at the top, he's in the corner. So he's got to kind of like play off of that. Um, I thought when we were in the in the locker room, we were kind of talking about it, it. felt like you guys needed a little bit more from Jaden. How do you do that? And Mike was like, we need to find a way. Maybe we need to put him into that triangle at the top and, and be able to do that because you are like, when it's Jaden and TP in the corner off of that, you're kind of just Jaden and TP in the corner, right? Like you're just right. waiting for the defense to collapse and find that. So I'd have to look closer into exactly where Jaden's stuff has come to. It's kind of like, The initial action, and then Jaden has been the second side guy. I just wonder if that can get you enough volume for Jaden. Like, I think, right, without Ant, without Cat, you need greater Jaden volume. So, that might just need to be like some straight pick and roll with Jaden and Rudy. I remember Finch mentioned that before the Chicago game. This is before Ant got hurt. We were just talking pregame. And he's like, because you asked him, you were like, hey, it seems like Rudy and Jaden are starting to really find some sort of offensive chemistry. Ooh. And Finch was like, yeah, 100%. And maybe we just need to, like, that needs to be a main action that we go to more often. So, yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe tonight uh, against New York is they've had a little bit more time to, like, think about what it is that they want to go to. I, I wouldn't be surprised if if you see Jaden being the highest usage guy Tonight, even if it is just some of those more isolation-based, uh, those isolation-based situations, so I think that's, I think that's what you have to go to. You just have such limited offensive right. options again because those right. are your
2: role players. Those are your role players and, that are out there. You need to, I think, you need to also lessen the the burden a bit on on Kyle Anderson as yeah. well. I, I don't think he should be, you know, the the, the guy. who who, when it breaks, I think that he's kind of been the guy when the, when the offense is broken down, that has been trying to make stuff happen. Like he's the, he's that he's assumed that role from ant Mm -hmm. in the last, game and a half, right? We saw it at the end of regulation um against the Bulls. He was the one trying to take that last shot in an ISO situation. It felt like it happened a couple times in the Toronto game as well. So I think I think Jaden should get some some cracks at being that guy. Sure. At being the all right five second the shot clock just pass to Jaden, let mm-hmm. him do something. Yeah. Um I, I've just been impressed with Jaden in For the sure. second half of this season overall. And his playmaking and everything looks a lot smoother with him
0: and And like confident,
2: uh, right? Confident, confident and in control. Um, he, he seems to know what he's doing when he's taking the ball to the, to the rim and he's got a plan or, you know, he's, he's ready to, React quickly. He's been able to find Rudy a a bunch over the last couple of weeks here. Mm -hmm. I just, I just, I've been impressed with how his game has come along offensively uh, this year, and I think that's not a small development for them.
1: No, I think it's it's certainly a a silver lining in what has been a rough stretch here. Even you know the two games without amp, but you know they they've lost five of the last six. I want to grab a quick break here and then just kind of talk about what these. Sort of past two weeks, a lot of losses have been and what they've kind of meant for where we're at at this juncture in the season with uh, with 10 games ago. So we'll take a quick break. We'll be back with Chris. Today's show is brought to you by Land and Lore and the people at Land and Lore wanted me to tell you that they get tired, super tired, tired of always looking like. But life hits hard. Their dads with kids that don't sleep and with wives that are constantly mad at them for things they didn't realize they did. Plus, maybe they stayed up all night rewatching last year's playing game versus the Clippers because it's thus far the highlight of their adult lives. But what's worse than feeling like is looking like it? Because when you look like everyone can see it, and no matter how much coffee or Celsius they inhale, they still walk into work looking like cave dwellers. That's why at Land and Lore they created the energy drink for your face. So no matter how you feel, you don't have to look like it. What's even better because they love the Timberwolves is they're giving fans 20% off the brand. Just go to Amazon.com and search for Land and Lore face products and use promo code 20AntMan to get 20% off. Land and Lore, proven to help you look awake no matter how long of a bender you've been on. Today's show is brought to you by Hyacinth Restaurant in St. Paul. Hyacinth is one of my favorite restaurants in the cities and a place that I think is easy and comfortable to go to if you're looking for kind of an elevated dining experience that is still comfortable. That's been my experience when I've gone to Hyacinth with my friends and with my family. Um, it's, it's also a restaurant that is using all Minnesota products year round, which I think makes it cool, um, whether it be for the menu items or the cocktails. They'll kind of have like a wintry vibe to them. And I think that can be fun this time of year if you're looking to go out, whether it's for a, a fancy dinner or just something more casual on a random weeknight. You can make reservations there. Those are those are ideal. But if you're going in the wintertime and you're going on a weeknight, also walk-ins are uh, more than normal there at Hyacinth. So if you haven't checked out Hyacinth, uh, I I challenge you to you know look at their website, check out their menu. They also have a Instagram page with a ton of their uh, menu items on there. Uh, again, you are going to go out to eat. And I would just recommend that you put Hyacinth at the top of your list if you're looking for a new place to check out in the city. So that's Hyacinth Restaurant in St. Paul. All right, we are back with Chris Hine from the Star Tribune. Uh, Chris, over the past two weeks, you know, felt like the cat return was starting to seem real. There's kind of in this somewhat credible possibility of gathering momentum in March, right? You know, you kind of pick up cat. You become... You know, a threat game to game, but also a threat to maybe be able to compete in in a first round matchup. If you get the seven or six seed or something like that, Uh, it felt like that's where we're moving uh, about two weeks ago. And in that time, in part due to Ant's injury, they've lost five of their last six. Now Ant is out. Cats tweeting out pictures of a caged lion. Uh, This is (laughs) this is not where. He wanted to be on on march 20th but it is where they are and um i don't know somehow the western conference standings like you can kind of lose five of six and not totally fall out of it they're, they're still in the mix but i mean i i, I don't know what what is this three game losing streak or five of the last six losses or five losing five of the last six games what, what does that just mean for the momentum of this team or lack thereof at what is kind of was supposed to be a pretty critical juncture of the season.
2: Yes. I think you look back at this stretch and you're like, okay, Philly was probably going to be a loss. Mm -hmm. Celtics were probably going to be a loss, but every game other than that was a winnable game. Brooklyn at home, Chicago on the road, Toronto on the road, Atlanta on the road. And Chicago and Brooklyn, should have been wins, yeah, you know, I, I think we could say that, but they should have won both of those games. And uh, that's just kind of how this team has been, right? Yeah. Um, with ant, without ants in that Chicago game, I, I look back and it's just it's it's it comes down to the little things, right? Like uh, like just a couple plays here and there. 50 50 balls a turnover at the end of that first overtime you know it's they do it to themselves they, they've done it to themselves all season it's why they're it's why they're at where they're at the standings are very precarious right now I know I know they've lost five or six and it's easy to say like yeah they're still in it but also they're like one day away from being 11th right now yeah they're 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 they lose tonight and I don't know if the Lakers are playing tonight or or what the what the schedule looks like um but by the time they hit the floor wednesday night they could be in 11th place in the in the western conference and yeah that's just where they're at right now and, yeah, and like they, they're they, looking they, at that and who and, and again we, we, we've talked about ants maybe not gonna be out for that long but if he's out for you know three more games which is, isn't unrealistic to, to say um where does that leave them at the end of this week if if they have to go zero a- and three because and Cat are still not out there for yep. them? It's it's a very precarious time right now.
1: I mean, they've just been a five hundred team all year. <laughs> like when that was an achievement and when that was an underachievement. You know, first yeah. twenty one games of the season with Cat, you're ten and eleven, and you know five hundred ish feels underwhelming, and then you go. 40 game or even just like the next what 25 games where you have no cat and like Ant steps up and you're like wow it's kind of an achievement to be 500 given that you lost cat or to be as good as you were with cat or have the same record that you had with cat without him like that 500 felt like an achievement and it's kind of just been up and down up and down just 500 consistently 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 and now this is the first time where even 500 kind of seems like a stretch you know if it is if it is going to be four games that misses or it's six games he misses but whatever it's like even 2 and 2 or 3 and 3 in that would seem like a little bit of a, a stretch but i guess if there was ever a time to exceed whatever our expectations are right or wrong like to do that it would be now because it just feels like we're getting dangerously close to you know just dumping five or six games and then all of a sudden finding yourself out of the play in altogether or even in the 9-10 and just probably not finding yourself in a first round playoff series. And you know as I was sending an email to you last night I was just thinking about it like what what would it mean for this team to not make the playoffs? Like even if it was the A seed as the 1-8 like or maybe conversely what would be the value of making the playoffs? Because I, I think about last season and like, yeah, you you know, you're the the seventh seed. You don't come in with the expectation to win that Memphis series, but you kind of have like the goal of competing and learning how to compete in a playoff series with a young roster for ant. And now it that seems like whatever value there is in that learning experience of going to the playoffs, it seems like this group is really in jeopardy of not even getting that experience. And 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 I I think a lot of people are at the point of like oh my god there's been so many injuries all season and how can we even like we're either super underwhelmed or how can we even properly quantify what this is and yeah like that's all fair I just feel like this group could really benefit from a playoff series particularly if you're at, at close to full strength you're probably gonna lose a couple of games in a playoff series just because you don't have the continuity but I just think the experience of doing that even if it's against the nuggets in the 1-8 thing would be of value not only to the young players on the team like Anthony Edwards and Jade McDaniels, but to this young, this group that is young in the time they've spent with each other, right? Like that seems like going to a playoff series, even if you lose it in five or six games, could have serious long-term benefits of continuity and growth. And I'm just I'm just wondering if this team is going to get there and if it's going to all of a sudden be the middle of April and we're like, OK, on to next year, like too many injuries. We missed it. Uh, I just think there's a there's a cost to to missing it, even if the cost is, you know, losing in five games to the Nuggets or something like that. I I, right. I just think there'd be a real benefit in that. Do, are, are you with me on that?
2: I am with you on that. Um, and we've heard Finch talk about, you know, just the need to see Cat and Rudy together. You know, a playoff series allows, what better for, time? allows for some of that, right? Allows for five, you know, five-ish games, six games maybe, um, of Carl and Rudy in high-pressure yes. situations. And you, you learn a lot. I feel like we learned a lot in that Memphis series that I think it was, we learned once and for all that, I feel like this team kind of made up its mind on D'Angelo Russell long-term mm-hmm. coming out of that Memphis series, right? I, yeah. I think that was one of the, the major things that came out of that, for better that, or for worse.
1: That and this, like, ardent belief that we need to address rebounding and we need to address rim protection, right? Because right, you, right. six games of the Grizzlies, and it's like, okay, we it's like almost if you wouldn't have played in that Memphis series this perceived need for a player like Rudy Gobert wouldn't have been there. Now, was that guidance? Wait, wait, so are you
2: saying that that Rudy Gobert would not be here if they didn't didn't make the playoffs last year? I think that would be the fan base's dream for some of them right now. (laughs) I I think that played a huge role. I I think it did, too. I think the rebounding aspect did, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Yeah.
1: so, So, I mean, and now, is that six games of playoffs, maybe misleading you, whatever. I I don't know. I just think it's generally applied that if what your struggles are in the playoffs or successes, you know, you really take that from the playoffs and apply it to your roster construction going forward. And whether that is a good example last season or not, um, I think having a playoff series with this group this season would help entering the offseason, maybe not not for another huge trade, of course, but maybe you're whoever you're going to who your next year's Kyle Anderson is going to be right That You're going to sign in free agency with the mid level like maybe a playoff series helps you better understand how you want to use that tool this offseason to to build your roster. You know, some some things a- a- along those lines make sense to me. And I think there would. Yeah, I, I really I really am of the mind that there would be value in that, and probably roster changes that that correspond to how how that playoff series plays out.
2: I agree, agree 100%. There's nothing like a playoff series where another team really digs into you yes. and finds your weakest spots. Mm-hmm. You know, and it really shows what's under the surface. Mm-hmm. You know, they almost do some self-analyzing for you in a way. It's like, what are our biggest weaknesses? Well, they're going to try to find your biggest weaknesses and exploit them over and over and over again. And we saw Memphis with the rebounding, especially like, okay, we're just going right. to, we're just going to hit them hard on the boards and beat them that way. Um, it so forced end in the I,
1: off season. I think it really did.
2: And, and I think, I think the playoffs also, I mean, one of the things last year that, that got people at least really excited, I feel like was the way that Jaden played in game six. Yeah, That was a big moment for him. Mm-hmm. I think a big confidence boost heading into the off season. Um, you know, so those guys, him and a- getting another playoff series under their belts certainly can't hurt, mm-hmm. and and showing their worth in in crunch time situations. So yeah, huge huge benefit. Even if they get run off the floor in five games by the by the Nuggets, I, I don't think it's a I don't think it's a bad thing at all. So to for, to want this team to get into the playoffs, even if it's you know, not a. And, and not even an if it's a wake up call, even if it's like yeah. a wake up call, e- even and you're if like, it's a wake up call, yeah.
1: You're, you're say you're at full strength. You get cat and you have amp back and like maybe you yeah. don't have the continuity, but you know you have your team at full strength and maybe you go to Denver and get swept, right? There yeah. would even be value in that wake up call of like, yo, like that we're even at full strength, we're still a ways away from being able to do. Like, what do we need to do? Roster, mentality, continuity wise, like. I I just yeah I keep saying it I I think there'd be a real value in it let's uh let's take one more break I'll be back with Chris uh to to talk about a couple other things here uh as the Wolves enter you know one of the final final weeks of the season so back with Chris in a
0: minute we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed
1: All right, we are back with Chris Hine. Chris, uh, we were kind of talking off the the top a little bit uh, about Mike and Jaden taking on bigger offensive roles by necessity of Ant being out, and I think uh, we mentioned Rudy in that. And I think you know we saw Rudy's usage expand some, but again, we talked about how that that has been something that's going been going on for about six weeks now, where we've seen more and more from Rudy Gobert. Uh, offensively in terms of what he's doing. That Chicago game, too, really strong defensively, five, six blocks, whatever it was. Um, I, in what has, like, just it's natural that, of course, in the season when everyone's frustrated with Rudy Gobert, I would say Rudy Gobert is playing his best basketball of the season right right now. (laughs) But it's at this time when the team has been extremely underwhelming. Like, how, how do you square that and, are are you with me that i think this has been really again the past 4 6 weeks whatever have been really encouraging from you know just in a vacuum looking at the Rudy Gobert element of this am, am i am i overreacting to that
2: no not at all he he's looked the best offensively that he's looked all, all season absolutely 100% and surprise mike conley's been the point guard yeah, for right. these last 4 weeks so you know, the trade seems to be working from that aspect. Mm-hmm. You know, again, I think I think we can criticize the long-term value of trying to build a roster that is complementary to Rudy Gobert and not, you know, say Ant or something like that. Right. But for what they need and want out of Rudy right now, it is working from that aspect of the trade. Uh, Conley has helped unlock him. Um, he's got growing chemistry with other teammates on the floor. The the circle of guys who can pass him the ball effectively has grown, oh. as as I like to say. It's like it used to be just kind of like Kyle <laughs> out there, like for for a while. Cat only cat even,
1: back in the day.
2: Cat, cat cat back in the day, but then when Cat went out, it was like basically just Kyle. Yep. And now it's like no, now it's Kyle, it's Conley, it's Jaden, mm-hmm. it's uh, Alexander Walker. Yeah, um, who when they're out there together looks pretty natural getting him the ball. So and i think when rudy's got the ball in his hands he's he's confident he's trying to make things happen and and he does he's, get, he's getting to the line um when he puts the ball on the floor i don't think it looks as clunky as it, did, as it yeah. once did um i every I mean, time he put the ball on the floor earlier in the season i was like oh no how is this right. going to how is this going to end up i don't have that feeling anymore when i'm watching it
1: do you remember like I think it was in the, the first overtime. Again, they're running that little horn set V action thing or whatever. And Rudy just catches it at the right elbow and like action like as Vucevic was on him. He like just ripped through like one quick fast dribble yeah. going left to the rim. And he kind of did the thing where he took the left-handed layup with his right hand, but he got fouled. But I was like, that is the quickest like rip through and first yeah. step I had ever good. seen from from Rudy Gobert. And I've said this a couple of times. I, I am I'm with the idea that Mike Conley addition has has you know done a lot for Rudy and, and inspiring that competence and that. But I think a big part of this too is asking Rudy to do more of these things that he came into the season either bad at or inexperienced at. Like there was there was this natural growth curve. I think that was happening all season for him. Maybe it was expedited by Mike. But does that kind of make sense? Like I think. If you didn't make the Mike Conley for Rudy Go or Mike Conley for D'Angelo Russell trade, I still think we would have seen some of this progression from Rudy because I take it to be a lot of like actual work, right? Like he's actually been <clears throat> practicing it. And yes, it's still many times an eyesore. I'm not saying that. And that's never gonna go away. Like Rudy is never going to be like this smooth, Giannis, Euro step, forceful dunk guy. But given where he was in the first, like, five, ten games of the season when they were, quote-unquote, trying to unlock him. You go watch that back to what we've seen even in just these last two games. I'm like, that, to me, is individual skill development and growth. From a zero out of ten, maybe, and I don't, I'm not saying it's a ten out of ten, it's not an eight <laughs> either, but it, he has progressed up that chart, in my opinion, and, you know, somewhat irrelevant of how the season winds down these last ten games or the playoffs, like, I'm going to remember that I'm going to make it a point to remember that from the last chapter of the Wolves regular season that Rudy Gobert started making me believe a little bit more in in his uh, offensive game. And I yeah, and I think we'll get a couple more games here too here without Ant or maybe he's going to really come in as offensively aggressive as he has been all season and maybe there is a 30 point Rudy Gobert game like that doesn't that doesn't seem that outlandish to me anymore and a 30 point Rudy Gobert game that is like self-initiated in in many ways I would have never if in like November you would have told me oh yeah uh in March in New York like Rudy Gobert scored 34 points and did it a lot in like independent creation. I'd be like, get out of here. No way, man. I could see that tonight. I really, I really could see that happening in this game. Not get not I wouldn't bet on it, but it doesn't right. seem like as outlandish of a proposition that Rudy can be kind of like an independent uh offensive hub, not only as a scorer, but his assisting is up too. I, I just I find that part to be really encouraging.
2: It's it was playing a long game earlier in the season, and yeah. I think that that's what they came into the season wanting to do, especially on, we, we talked about it with defense and switching coverage. It's like, why don't they just one, run one coverage? Well, it's like by the end of the season, they want to be a team that runs multiple coverages. We, we've made that point before. I think with Rudy, to, to your point about just getting his offensive game more unlocked and going, I think it has to do with, punishing teams when they go smaller if you have a Rudy Gobert who is offensively activated Mm -hmm. it is not just kind of taking up space waiting for offensive rebounds but is actually like okay I've got a small guy on we got a small guy on Rudy here just get him the ball and let him go dunk it like Mm -hmm. you know I think trying to that's one of the ways they have to try to tag these small lineups that they're probably going to see from time to time Mm -hmm. and we've talked about it over the last month when teams have gone small against the wolves it has not always gone well for them
1: no i would say more often than not right right? like right and
2: i think part of that is the wolves are executing on offense because nothing nothing will get a team out of a certain lineup like a team just just scoring each time down the floor on a certain lineup And if they're able to do that when teams go small with rudy on the floor those the opposing coach is going to make substitutions really quick Mm -hmm. So I I think I think that's I think that's been the philosophy of why you try to get Rudy going Mm -hmm. from from day one, because now when teams go small, it's like, oh, Rudy's got a couple other things in his bag that he can go to or that we can go to as an offense and they can they can work.
1: Yeah. And and maybe to my hypothetical, Rudy goes for 34 against the Knicks. Maybe that. Is not as doesn't make as much sense because that's not a team in all seriousness. It's not a team that goes small, right? Like, right, you're right, gonna right. see 48 minutes of Mitchell Robinson and Isaiah Hartenstein, like the two right. actual center centers. And then on Wednesday against Atlanta, as we saw last week, right? You're gonna get Capella for 30 minutes, you're gonna get a Kong for 18 minutes. Right. It's they aren't the situations where Rudy can just do his like be taller than everyone, like, pivot towards the basket <laughs> with the ball up high where they can't reach it and dunk it, you know. Yeah. Um, that Um Honestly, if Rudy does have a big game or two big games against the Knicks and Hawks, like, that would be even more impressive because he would be doing it against, actually, two pretty good defensive centers in Robinson uh, in, and Capello. But I think the point still sort of stands. Like, yes, you want that Rudy offense most when it's punishing those small ball lineups, but can you get it sometimes, too, against just a traditional matchup against a five? Uh, they need both of those things, I guess is what I'm saying, particularly now when they have Ants and Cat out. Chris, one other thing we've been kind of texting about, well, a lot of our texting about has just been the <laughs> insanity of talking about the, the MVP race and just sending right. tweets of videos and stuff to each other. And, and uh, we were talking about one thing, but first and I'll, I'll get to that, but do, does your head go to the same place that mine does when just, you know, not even Jokic and Bede, like I'm not trying to pick one or, or the other, but I think yeah. a lot about in this conversation about Jokic and Bede, how they are, you know, now currently viewed as the number one and two best players this season or best players in the context of the MVP devo- the MVP debate. And I think about it too of like, man, we are like, two years removed, right, from it being Jokic and Embiid 1-2 as the best center in the league, and then it was Cat and Rudy as three and four. Like, pretty right. unambiguously, like, the third and fourth best centers in the NBA. And I know we've, we've talked about it, thought about this before, you know, back in the preseason when we are talking about, well, you know, you got two of the best centers in the NBA now. But it's almost more interesting to me now in the context of, Embiid and Jokic being as dominant as they are, and throw Giannis in there, too, of, like, we are at this time in 2023 where it's kind of like a center's league, you know? And yeah. we we talk we talk about it the, the opposite way all the time with Wolves. Like, what the hell are they doing? Two centers, you know, this, like, at a time when the league is going small. Like, obviously, there's some truth to that, too. But it's a weird juxtaposition on this idea that the, the players... The three best players, the players having the best season this year, are all centers. Particularly if you include Giannis as as a center in that as well, and that's, yeah, yeah, an interesting juxtaposition given how much the Cat and Gobert pairing has not worked. At least, if for nothing else, than from a they've been injured standpoint this season. I, I don't know. I just I just find that I find that curious. But what. What do you think about
2: I it? mean, I, 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 it makes sense to me because it's like, okay, the, the league has just gone small overall because you want more kind of skilled, mm-hmm. quicker players on the floor who can hit shots and, and you know, commands an offense. So if you get a big guy who's in the neighborhood of 6'10", 6'11", 7 feet, but is able to do the things that smaller guys can do with the ball in their hands mm-hmm. and playmake and distribute and, and you know, like in Embiid's case, taking, you know, 18-foot fadeaway jumpers and hitting them fairly, right. reg- hitting them fairly regularly, you know, the, these kind of, quote-unquote, unicorn type of big men, yeah, absolutely, they're going to dominate because size mm-hmm. can still win out in the NBA. Um, it, it's just... Can you have the ball in your hands and do stuff that causes defenses to react? And, and all these guys are, are special, special players mm-hmm. who who are able to do that. Like you don't see, you know, to your point about like the Isaiah Hartenstein's of the world dominating the league, Yeah. Right? Right. yeah. Um. But you need you, you kind of need to be one of these guys who's just a, a you know so skilled, special, yeah, and, and special, but you're also doing it while six eleven or seven feet tall mm-hmm. and that's when you hit the jackpot and that's 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 just where this league has been it's like okay we're, trend- we're we're trending more towards we trended more towards speed and skill and away from like brute force the brute force of like the early yeah. 2000s and trending in this direction but oh we have big men who can be skilled and finesse and create and playmake and hit threes and mm-hmm. and do all these things It's like, yeah, okay, And they can do it while being while being tall and being able to not, you know, you can't put somebody who's six five on them or six four the way you could if somebody was like six, seven, Mm -hmm. you know, and doing these things because they'll just punish them. Um, So, yeah, that's you got to be a unicorn, though. It's just
1: it's interesting in the wolves context of how like. I don't know, like in ways you could call Kat and Rudy both unicorns for the position. It's just that they're like two very different unicorns. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah Like yeah, if yeah. you're the Nuggets or the Sixers and you could like duplicate or relatively duplicate Jokic or a beat on the floor and you're like, oh my God, now there's two of them out there. <laughs> like, that would be like game over, right? And and with the Wolves, it, it's at least in those 21 games, and this is what, you know, all is to be determined, it's like it kind of feels like they cannibalize each other in ways, Cat or bear, or that's like kind of the operating hypothesis here. But it's just interesting that those guys were pretty universally acknowledged as the third and fourth best centers yep. in the league. You know, pick pick and choose which one you had over the other ones. Sometimes one of them got third team all NBA. Sometimes the other did. Um, it's just... It's a striking sort of thing, as this has maybe been the most dominant year of the center, right, uh, in recent memory at least. And yet, the Wolves are the one team going most into the center position and find themselves, you know, two games under 500 here with with ten to go. And of course, there's a million other different uh, different factors that are contributing to that. It's just every time I watch like a Jokic and a bead debate, I'm like, man, Cat and Gobert used to be not that far not that far <laughs> away right yeah i don't know um the, but the, the other thing that that we were we were talking about last week is just the kind of lunacy of this whole yoke oh, and Bead and, and sort of thing and, and and you texted me you're like this reminds me of taylor swift and i was like <laughs> i was like what are
2: you talking about but then, then you explained it right? made, i was it like you gotta sense. do it on the pot don't don't, don't don't worry it, it all makes sense so <laughs> so taylor swift has won three grammys for album of the year in her career the mvp of the music industry i I think it's it's her stevie wonder and paul simon are the only people that have won three uh album of the year so you're talking like you know in in the music industry that is legendary kind of status right so so there's a parallel to this where it's like oh three-time mvp well this is this sets you into another stratosphere in terms of you know, MVP awards and the people that have won three MVPs and and this and that so I, I see a parallel there where it's yeah. like you you give this person a third award and it kind of puts them in another tier um, I feel like Jokic, uh, Jokic winning this MVP is a lot like when Taylor won her third album of the year Grammy which was a couple of years ago for her Folklore album mm-hmm. she put out a really really good album right it, it, very good album uh, universally uh beloved by fans and critics alike you know sales numbers were great reviews were great everybody seemed to love it that was the album that came out kind of as a surprise during the pan during the pandemic yep. um so it's like going into the Grammys it was like she is she gonna win album of the year? Like who else is gonna who else is gonna beat her? Like does anybody else have the have the numbers to to beat her? Like you know we're looking for somebody to try to take her down because
1: we don't want to give her a third because we don't we
2: don't really want to give her a third. And you can see that because that was literally the only Grammy she won that night. She lost mm-hmm. every other Grammy she was up for that night except for the top award. Huh album of the year they wanted to give it they kind of wanted to give it to somebody else but they just couldn't quite do it mm-hmm. and Billie Eilish was one year removed she didn't have an album out um you know if that had been like Billie Eilish versus Taylor Swift I think Billie Eilish would have won but Billie Eilish had come out the year before
1: it's like the maybe like the i don't know like the kevin durant in this situation or something yeah
2: (laughs) something like that we're like yeah like the superstar who was hurt but like could have been a force if they were eligible (laughs) yes right but they weren't eligible um so we're looking around and it's like okay are we going to give it to post malone Mm -hmm. no are we going to give it to dua lipa no We don't want to give it to Dua Lipa for a pop disco-y album, which is fun, uh, but we're not going to give her album of the year. Interestingly, Dua Lipa beat Taylor Swift for best pop album that year, uh, but did not beat her in the big category, so... I don't know how that happened. No, that doesn't make sense. They were both up against each other in both categories. So it was just very weird. And it's like, at the end of the day, Taylor Swift wins the third Grammy by almost default. And I feel like that's what's going on with the MVP race. It's like, you're looking at at Jokic and his numbers and it's like, does anybody else want to come and take it from this guy? Because if not, we're probably going to give it to him again. (laughs) And I think you're seeing like, yeah, I see Philly fans online making the case for, Mm. Embiid over and over again and you know apparently there's some advanced metrics that Embiid has passed Jokic in. Um, I don't vote you know full disclosure I don't vote Um, You choose not to vote I I did it one year and I didn't really enjoy the experience of it and and I also think it's a bit of a conflict of interest when guys you know can make more money based off of whether you uh, guys you cover can make more money based off of your voting. So um so I do not have a vote uh, for just full disclosure for those listening, but I just see the parallels in this race. Um between my beloved uh music uh fandom and obsession with the Grammy Awards. I'm like, this is very much like when Taylor Swift yeah. won her third Grammy for album of the year. It's it's applying to this... win it by default almost.
1: Yeah, it, it's applying it's applying a legacy value in a significant way to a one season award, right? Right. And and you know, for me frankly, it, I'm it's not really the way I think about it. I've just that's just always been my operating thought. It's like, you know, who is the best player that season, you know, for the voters, you know, you're watching as many of these games as you can and, you know, you're looking at the numbers but also just looking for that individual dominance if and when you watch them. I I think that's a really that that thing matters to me. And that that's hard to quantify with a number specifically, but that that game to game level of just a real dominance. And and Jokic obviously has that. I think that's what's interesting about Jokic and Bede and Giannis and the kind of the whole big guys thing in general. Like you really feel dominance when it's coming from a yeah. 6'11, foot Bead's case, like 7'2 guy. Um, I, I think. That's an interesting variable in all of this to me is that even if you believe Nicole Jokic has been the most valuable player this season and extremely dominant in his in his own right, there's something to the eye test of watching Embiid play in as many of the games as you get and you go, man, that, that dude seems like the most dominant player in the league and and it's, I feel like, that's where a lot of the the talking heads out there, they really are applying a ton of value to that, right? That that's what they're there's, you know, that's what they want the award to represent. Plus, they factor in the legacy value that we're talking about with Taylor Swift and all of that, of like, wait, three yeah. times is is he really that dominant? Uh it's just it's an interesting, funny media thing to be, whether it's the Grammys or the MVP, how we change or subjectively decide what the award represents, right? Right, And And I'm like, well, that shouldn't be the case. I think there should be something a little bit more ironed out here as to what it is that we're looking at. Even if it's like, maybe there's not a definition for it, but like, I don't feel all 100 voters are voting under the same criteria for it. Whether that be for the Grammys or, you know, or for the yeah, MVP, and it, it's it's just making for uh, an interesting thing that I think. Rel- well, I think
2: yeah. I think you know to your point. I think in with NBA voters, those couple dozen MVP voters um, that we have, you know, about a hundred, right? Mm-hmm. That does that stuff does matter. Like I think I feel like it weighs on their minds more um, mm-hmm. because it, and it is a smaller group of people. The Grammys are like thousands of people voting for it so so, you know they're probably not thinking oh we're going to give it to her again and tie her with stevie wonder and paul simon like i don't think that was necessarily in the minds of a majority of grant maybe some of them Mm -hmm. uh, but in the minds of a majority of grammy voters you know, for instance. But I think in the NBA that stuff matters when it comes to awards, like storylines and legacy and yeah. and you know, I mean, you know, you look at like Westbrook's MVP and you know, part of the reason why Westbrook won MVP was, oh, Durant left him and now, you know narrative, yeah. he's by himself. Narrative narrative carried Russell, you know, all the triple doubles helped too. But narrative also helped Russell Westbrook that year to to an MVP and it's it's you know narrative almost counts as much as what the actual stats are but i just don't narrative has also played a a, a helpful role in 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 Jokic because it was like last year he was like basically carrying the nuggets yeah. to the sixth seed this year it's like okay he's got his guys back you know they've got you know like the full roster back mm-hmm. and now they're the one seed So it's like, you've seen him just kind of like with the team, take these important steps, these important markers. Like it really helped him last year win the MVP, because they weren't there, because they weren't there. And if they were there last year and they were the one seed last year and they were the one seed again, this year, it was kind of the same thing. I don't know that it, that it works like in it? his favor. The, the 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 whole narrative arc of how the Nuggets have progressed as a team these last few years has really benefited uh-huh. Jokic when it comes to this MVP. Because now it's like you could say, well, last year he carried them on his back to the sixth seed. Now they're the one seed. Mm-hmm. So like, and he and it's because of him, right? So that that narrative arc has really benefited Jokic, I think. Whereas with Philly if if the 76ers had like run away with the one seed the mm. way that the nuggets did in the west then maybe mb would have had a or would have a stronger case but because the winning is so in favor of jokic Kitchen, just getting that one seed it really helps him. like it really does and i think that's that's part of part of it and it's it's okay to say that that's a part of it because it is
1: it is, and and i think part of the reason it is part of it is is the voter pool like the voter pool has evolved in recent history to a more national based voter pool, which is actually I wasn't even really thinking about this until you brought up that brought up that you no longer choose to vote And that's been kind of a progression we've seen in the voter pool is less people like yourself who are on the beat covering one team day to day and and I would apply this idea that more of the national, If the pool has moved from 50-50 national local to now say it's 80-20 national local. And if it's true that national people are more following the narrative rather than what you, just the way you're wired as a local beat guy or a lot of local beat guys Mm -hmm. are kind of like, I think we see the league differently covering one team very closely than how our friends who cover the league nationally. Cover it right they, they can't watch a one team any one team a ton right you have, you're spreading it more thinly your're viewing your your studying of the league and in that so as to fill in gaps, I think you have to use narrative i and i'm not That's not me ripping on it if I was a national reporter, I think I would need to use that to some extent as well just to try and better understand all of it so I think that always is is a huge factor in voting on anything is who are the people voting on it and what mm-hmm. are their subjective motives for it right what what it, what is driving them and i think that's an important part in all, in all of this is the voter pool has evolved i'm not saying for better or worse it just has and and i think that helps is leads to slightly uh different results in in what this ultimately will be taylor swift right she did get that third
2: she didn't get that third Grammy. She won. yeah, And, like and said, that's was, a different the voting only, pool. That's a different was, voting right. type of voting yeah, pool. That, that was the only award she won that night. It was just like, uh, like I said, she lost everything else she was up for that night. But the top award of the night, she's on that stage accepting it. And it's like... yeah. That's why I think it's so, going to be different
1: in the NBA, yeah. man. That's <laughs> why I think Embiid will get it. I'm not saying that's you necessary. You think so? Yeah, I, I, I do. Because I think the narrative element of it and the legacy element of it is even... Greater in the NBA context, given what the context is of who is deciding it here, and that, that's yeah. interesting that you—I didn't know that with the Grammys, it's you know ten times, hundred times more people voting on it than it is yeah. the NBA. But I think I think that's a big factor, and that's why. And, and you know, not to also like Embiid is on a freaking heater right now he in is, terms of he what is, he's yeah. doing, and the Nuggets have kind of hit the boredom stage of. Of the season because they're clearly you know gonna get the one in the Western Conference. So I don't know. I I, I always find this stuff to be uh, interesting. I think it's gonna be a really close race. I, I think it's, I I think it's it. gonna
2: be very close. I still think I I I think Jokic still gets it though. Mm. I, th- I I that's my that's my gut feeling right now. I I don't know. Um, I know Embiid. I know what he's been doing. I just mm. think I think this race was decided a month ago, and I think. I, I don't know. And, and
1: and Jokic, like I was saying, I think, in my opinion, Embiid is the most night to night dominant player, given that, you know, Giannis has just had a, a different type of season, given the injuries they've had. Mm-hmm. There's a little too much on his. But like, Embiid seems the most dominant. I think Jokic, however, is more dominant this season than he has been the two previous years, and, and how mm-hmm. I define that, which is why I think, and I am kind of with the idea of like, actually just wait until the season's done Ooh. to actually like put it all in um right. that's i i mean i've been on and beat in, in past seasons to win it but i i think Jokic has upped his quote unquote dominance factor that for me makes it very close if i had a vote to to be able to vote on it but i've also i've watched denver a ton more this season than i have philadelphia and you know that sure. there's just these these different factors so how am i I don't know. That That's what I'm talking about, these voters. It's like, what were they looking at? I happened to be looking at Denver more than I was looking at Philadelphia because they're in the Eastern Conference this year. So, yeah, I don't know. I think it's going to be close. My just finger to the wind slash Twitter <laughs> tells me I think it'll be Embiid. And I think actually the betting markets have Embiid as as the favorite here, too. But it's just a It's an interesting conversation on legacy versus one individual season. Yeah. And I also think it's interesting from the wolves perspective in a weird sort of way because Cat and Go Bear 2 years ago were viewed as maybe not right on those guys heels but uh as as close as anyone was to to those two's heels. So it's it's all uh it's all interesting to me.
2: By the uh, way, uh at yeah. the Grammys this year, Adele could have joined uh Taylor Swift, Stevie Wonder and oh, with her third album of the year when she did not win. Interesting. Harry Styles won instead um and so that was a very and that was a very in, it was a very interesting Grammys this year we could do a whole separate <laughs> pod uh about how this was the wild one of the wildest Grammy <laughs> Awards I've seen in recent times and there have been a lot of wild ones but this one was uh seeing Harry Styles win album of the year was unexpected sure. um I'll, I'll say that for a number for a number of reasons
1: it's yeah i don't know it'll be it'll be interesting to see what i mean these last 10 games of the year it's going to be a
2: very dissected mvp race and like i i I feel for the voters who are probably going like the fan bases like well at least if if you, i I feel like the philly fans will like come out in full force and like start tagging everybody who voted for for Jokic first on twitter and like (laughs) just it's it's going to happen like it's going to be like that it's going to be a, it's going to be a nice calm uh yes. reveal of who voted for who uh that day that those that, that becomes public knowledge i'm sure
1: yeah that is an unenviable situation to be in as as a voter too i think because yeah. it is so close and you will get roasted from one angle or the other if depending yeah. on, on on how you handle it uh all right chris well we got uh, we got wolves nicks tonight um in new york we'll see what happens we'll see who plays we're both kind of assuming uh no ant in this one and and we'll see I I think Finch and the staff will apply things in a little bit of a different way having had some time now to figure out you know it's the, the Toronto game was insanely quick after the Chicago game I think it makes sense that maybe they weren't yeah. able to find that much you've had a little bit of time now but 48 hours off of that to to better maybe, uh, strategize how you're going to be able to score points because that, th- at the end of the day, that's what I'm looking for with this team. Is all right, Ant and Cat are out, even Jalen Noel is out. It's just a group that it's hard for me to even squint. I'm like, how do they get over a hundred points? You know, that's that's <laughs> on Finch uh, to be able to do. And um, I'm curious to see how that that goes down in New York tonight. Uh, you guys can all uh, follow Chris. He's he'll be on site at uh, at MSG there. You follow him on Twitter. Uh, at Christopher Hine, read him over at the Star Tribune, his, his gamer on uh, on Tuesday morning. Uh, Chris, appreciate you doing it. You got any? What what is your what does your gut tell you on this this New York or even just kind of New York Atlanta right now? Are we gonna? I th- I is think, it gonna be I a losing streak? My
2: gut, my gut says loss tonight, and maybe regroup for Wednesday. Yeah. Come home and get a win against the Hawks team that they demolished I, last week. That's yeah. kind of what my gut is saying.
1: I, I think also if you like look at the standings, I think like the Hawks are only maybe a couple spots in the standings behind the Knicks. The Knicks are mm-hmm. a significant playing significantly significantly better basketball better. than the Atlanta yeah. Hawks yeah, are, are right now. Yeah. I was watching them uh, yesterday or whatever, and I uh, was like, I've always just kind of because the Tibbs thing was kind of like, oh, this they're just – they're kind of the cute try hard team. They exceed. Jerks. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, no, Dane, like, you gotta give give the Knicks credit. The Knicks might be like the eighth best team in the NBA or something right now. Seventh, maybe, you know, like yeah. they're 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 a legit, uh, they're a legit good team. They're legit deep. Um I I would be frankly surprised and really encouraged if they're able to beat the Knicks. Uh, even mm-hmm. without definitely surprised and encouraged if there's no ants. Um, Atlanta on Monday, however, I think you can win that game, or not on Monday, on Wednesday, back at home, okay. even if Ant misses that game and 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 Cat still remains out. I think it's reasonable for the fans to expect a win uh, against I- Atlanta there, too, because they are very much more the middle class uh, of the NBA. And, and to be able to make the playoffs, which we both acknowledge feels important for this Wolves team, those are the type of wins you're going to have to have. And you didn't have against Chicago over the weekend. You didn't mm-hmm. have against Brooklyn the previous week. Like, those are the ones you got to win. Right. Those are the that's ones you got to win to get that, there.
2: That, that's, that's where we are with this team. Mm-hmm. It's, yes, that that game Wednesday is one they have to have. But will they get it? I
1: don't know. Yeah.
2: Probably, maybe not. Maybe not. I don't know. 50-50, right? Flip the coin. Right? That's what it's has yeah. been all year.
1: <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it, it's hard with this team. But we, we will see. Uh, again, Chris is on site there. Chris, I appreciate you doing it. I will be back, uh, actually, with Kyle Tige on Tuesday. We're gonna. Kyle's just got back from vacation. He hasn't been on the pod in a little bit. Uh, so Kyle and I will recap uh, what goes down in the Kings game on Monday uh, when we record that on Tuesday morning. Uh, so look for that in your feed, and we'll we'll keep moving through these last ten games. He's Chris Hine. Follow him on Twitter at Christopher Hine. I'm Dane at Dane Moore NBA until Tuesday with Kyle.
0: How I'm feeling, man?
1: I hope it never stops, yeah. Green it off so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't
2: let standards ever ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you're dancing like nobody else around, yeah.